All right, please turn with me to Exodus chapter 6. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 13. The title to our message today is The Grace of a Spiritual Reset. And as you're turning there, please remember what the scripture says, that no scripture has ever been produced by the will of men, but men spoke for God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Exodus chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. May God bless the preaching of his word. Let's pray. Father, we know that your scriptures, as they are preached and proclaimed and taught, that they pour out the aroma of Christ. May that aroma be to us not a fragrance of death this morning, but may it be a fragrance of life unto life. For we pray in our Savior's name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Amen. 
One of the vital truths to learn in the Christian life is how to spiritually reset ourselves. And, and I would argue that this process of, of spiritual recess is a bit counterintuitive because it involves covering ground that you already know. Notice that in our passage this morning, nearly everything that God tells Moses, we have already heard him tell him back at the burning bush. It's nearly identical truth. So why does God tell Moses the same truth? I would submit to you that Moses began to live by sight and not by faith. Uh, he had the same problem that Peter had. Matthew chapter 14, 29 and 30, we read this. So Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water and he came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind... He was afraid and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. He took his eyes off the Savior and he put them on his circumstances. He began to sink. And that's exactly what Moses has done in chapter 6. He, he saw the hurricane that Pharaoh had brought upon the people of Israel. And he sank. So what does the Lord do? He directs Moses' eyes back on himself, not by giving Moses new truth, but by reminding Moses of the truth that he already knew. And this, this need to rehearse to ourselves previously known truths is actually all over the Bible. Uh, David taught it, Psalm 105, verse 5. Remember the wondrous works that he has done. Paul taught it. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. Peter taught this. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them, and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right as long as I am in the body to stir you up by way of reminder. There are hundreds of commands in scriptures telling us to remember, to remember, instructing us to bring to our mind things that we already know. Why? Because we're just like Peter. We're just like Moses. We're just like every other saint in the history of the world. We start to take our eyes off the Lord and put them on the circumstances that we have around us. We need spiritual reset. And that's what the Lord is doing with Moses in our passage this morning. So here's our big idea. Whenever despair darkens our path, God provides us with the grace of spiritual reset by reminding us who he is and what he has done. So let's look, first of all, then, at our doctrine this morning. If you're just joining us, 
here's the context of chapter 6. Chapter 5 ended in absolute disaster, at least from a human perspective. In verse 1, Moses and Aaron go into Pharaoh's court, and they say, Thus says the Lord, let my people go. And then Pharaoh, showing us what the devil does in every single age, turned the people against Moses, their leader. What did he do? Well, he gave them the impossible task of not only having to gather their own straw, but to make the same number of bricks they made before. And when they failed, he beat them. And when they came to Pharaoh asking why, Pharaoh blamed it on Moses. So then they in turn come to Moses, they accuse Moses of great sin, and then Moses in turn turns to the Lord and accuses the Lord. That's how chapter 5 ends. So chapter 6 begins with Moses and the Lord having this conversation. Let's look at chapter 6, verse 1. But... The Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. This is one of those things that it's so easy to miss. This is amazing. God doesn't rebuke Moses. God told him that Pharaoh was going to have his hard his heart hardened. He was going to be the one that was going to do it. In fact, he told him exactly what was going to happen. Moses knew. And then when it happened, he sinfully accused the Lord of of wrongdoing. The the unfolding of events is simply shocking here, but it's it's actually Moses' sin is not the most shocking thing. The most shocking thing is that God doesn't rebuke him. He is slow to his anger. No rebuke. Loved ones, some of you walk around believing the, the slanderous lies of the devil that, that once you sin, that God is, is up in heaven, uh, ready to disown you, ready to punish you, ready to crush you. That's not the God of the Bible. You're his child. He's patient with his children. He, he is slow to anger with you even when you disbelieve him. Moses is indeed impatient with the Lord, but this whole account shows how the Lord is infinitely patient with him. Look at what he says in verse 1. He says, now you shall see. Now. God planned that meeting with Pharaoh to go exactly the way it did. He planned it. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that God wanted chapter 5 to end in disaster? Let me ask you, what if Moses would have had success and Pharaoh would have obeyed? Who would have gotten the glory? Moses would have. The Exodus account is actually a paradigm of all of God's dealings in, in history. God always waits until every shred of human hope is evaporated so that at the end, we will say, look, the Lord has done it. I mean, 
Just think of all the stories in scripture. God waited until there was eight people in his church left on planet earth before he flooded it and saved his people, Genesis 6. God waited until Abraham was 100 years old before he gave him the child of promise, Genesis 21. God waited until all of Jerusalem was surrounded with Sennacherib's army before he sent out the angel of death, killing 185,000 of them. 2 Kings 19. And best of all, God waited until his son was dead in the grave for three days before he raised him up in victory over sin, death, and the devil. This is how God always works. And we need to get this in our heads. He always writes the story so that he is seen as the hero every single time which means that human failure always precedes his victory. Now, there is a division in our passage. You can see it in verses 1 through 5, God is addressing Moses. And then in verses 6 through 8, he addresses Israel. So let's look first at what he says to Moses. Verse 2. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. Now, this is the one statement that is new in our passage. What does God mean that he did not make his name, the Lord, known to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Kind of a curious statement. Dr. Walter Kaiser rightly points out, quote, the name Yahweh occurs 162 times in Genesis and 34 of those times on the lips of speakers in Genesis. So Abraham called God Yahweh. Uh, Genesis 22. So did Isaac, Genesis 26. So did Jacob, Genesis 27. They all knew the name. So how do we reconcile this? Well, one solution that people have offered is that since we know that Moses wrote the book of Genesis, that he simply anachronistically put this name on their lips when he wrote the account. I don't think that that's a very satisfactory answer. I actually think that brings up more problems because of we, we believe Scripture inerrancy. If they didn't say the name, then why did Moses insist that they did? I actually believe there's a better solution here, and it's, the, it's understanding the difference between what's called theoretical knowledge and experiential knowledge. Children, boys and girls, we have to understand that there are two types of knowing. And especially you, you girls, you understand that, um, that, God willing, one day you will have a baby. You've seen your mom have a baby and carry her in her womb, and she could feel the, the baby moving and kicking and, and having hiccups. And, and you, you know in your head that that will happen to you one day, God willing. That's only theoretical knowledge, though. 
When you actually get married, when you actually have a child in your womb, you will know what that feels like in your bones to delight in that child, to love that child, to speak to that child, to sing to that child. I believe that's what the Lord is saying here. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they had a theoretical knowledge of my name, Yahweh, but you, Moses, you, Israel, will know it by experience. As one author says here, this is the difference between Genesis and Exodus. Abraham knew God as a promise maker, but Moses knows God as a promise keeper. God was telling Moses that all the promises that he gave to the patriarchs were now going to be realized and Israel and he were going to experience the fulfillment of them. And that's wrapped up in the name Yahweh. Now, the rest of the Lord's address to Moses, the covenant in verse four, his compassion in verse five, Moses already heard at the burning bush. We'll circle back to that. Let's look at the address that he gives to Israel in verses six through eight. Now, what's new here is not so much the content, but how it's framed. Three times he declares to him his name. He does it at the beginning, I am the Lord, in verse six. He does it in the middle, I am the Lord, in verse seven. He does it at the end, I am the Lord, in verse eight. I am the Lord, three times. So that's, that's the bones of his address. But then he hangs flesh on it with these seven I will statements. Listen for them. Verse six, say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. And I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. That is the gospel in the book of Exodus. All of these promises, these seven I will statements, they are shadows of what Jesus says in John's gospel, his seven I am statements. But the point here is that Israel already knew this. Uh, they knew all these truths. It was baked into Israel. To, to be a Hebrew meant that you knew these things. So then why did God rehearse them again? Don't you get tired of church sometimes when the preacher's up front and he's telling you things that you already know? This is why. This is why. That brings us to our doctrine. that God provides spiritual resets to us by reminding us of things, by reminding us of who he is and what he has promised. Children, boys and girls, I don't know if you're like my sons, but when my sons are playing video games and they start to lose, you know what they do? They hit the reset button. 
Did anybody else ever do that? You start to lose and you hit the reset button. Why do we do that? Because losing stinks, doesn't it? I mean, yeah, if you reset, you're going to have to cover the same ground that you already covered, but at least you'll get a fresh start. At least your, your character will have all of his health back and you'll, you'll have your energy bars up. You won't have any wounds, right? That's precisely what God does when he reminds us of truths that we already know, of ground that we already covered. He is bringing our spiritual force back. Let's look at, consider two quick cases from Scripture of this idea of spiritual reset. First of all, case number one, David's reset. Please turn with me to 1 Samuel 30. This is David's reset, 1 Samuel 30. What we know about David is that God had already promised him that he would be king. 1 Samuel 16. But then Saul started to chase him and he had to run into the wilderness. And eventually David became so discouraged that he fled to Philistine country, which were the enemies of Israel. And then bad turned to worst. In 1 Samuel 30, David returns from uh, the battlefield and he finds that his house is his house has been burned. His wives and his children have been taken along with all of his men's wives and their children. Look how David responds. Verse 6, 1 Samuel 30, verse 6. And David was greatly distressed. For the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Did David have new revelation here? Was God sending down some, some new message from the heavens? No, not at all. David reminded himself of who God was and what God promised, and that brought strength to David. And he was able to get back up on his feet and finish the mission for which God gave him to do. He was spiritually reset by simply meditating on the Lord. Case number two, Paul's reset. Let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is one of Paul's last letters. He's writing from prison and he's giving an autobiographical account of one of the darkest days in his ministry. In verses 14 and 15, he talks about how Alexander the coppersmith, that heathen, that pagan, gave him great harm. He then speaks about how even God's people abandoned him in verse 16. And so he's in prison he was abandoned. He was attacked by his enemies. Where did he find strength? Well, look at verse 17. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. How did God strengthen him? Not by giving him new revelation, 
but by simply reminding him who he was. He was the Lord, and and by reminding him what he came to do, that he was going to use Paul to be a vessel to the Gentiles. God spiritually reset him so that he could finish his mission. There are so many more examples. God reset Elijah, 1 Kings 19. Jesus reset the disciples on numerous occasions. He reset Mary Magdalene at the resurrection. He reset Peter. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? John 21. Same thing is happening here for Moses. God reset him. He recommissioned him. He renewed him. That's our doctrine. Whenever despair darkens our path, God provides the grace of spiritual reset by reminding us of who he is and what he has promised. So let's look to our duty now. And our first duty is first duty is, is to rebuke ourselves if we let circumstances and sin to prevent us from walking by faith. Look at how Israel responded to the Lord in verse 9. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. Why didn't they listen? Because they were living by sight, by their circumstances, rather than by faith. Now, I think we can all agree that that Israel is blameworthy here, but can't you understand why? Can't you understand why they responded like this? Have you ever let your circumstances blind you from (laughs) the victory that God has promised? I understand their response. I've been guilty of this. I mean, even recently, this little teeny pebble, this this particle of dust of a trial that we're going through right now has gotten me discouraged. It's so infinitesimally small compared to the glory and grandeur of God and his promises. But what have I done? I've taken my eyes off of God and I've looked at these little teeny things. This text rebukes me. What about you? Have you been living by sight rather than by faith? Is there some sort of crushing discouragement in your life right now that is robbing you? Are you refusing to hear from God because of your circumstances? Think about Israel for a moment. Their unbelief robbed them of joy. I mean, from this moment right now, in in just a few weeks, a few weeks, they were going to be singing on the shores of the Red Sea that they were delivered and Pharaoh and his army was swallowed up in the deep. God was going to keep his word. They could have looked at the future and laughed at it. It could have whistled while they were making bricks. Hey, this is going to be over real quick. The same is true for you and I. 
Victory's already been promised. What did Jesus say? He said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. What anxiety and unbelief and worry can possibly prevent Jesus from putting every enemy under his feet? Why not just have the joy now? Why wait until he actually does it? Just believe. That's what God is trying to do with Israel. So then our second duty is to comfort ourselves, is to bring that spiritual reset upon our own hearts. There are five specific resets here that God gives to Moses and any one of them can comfort the most downcast soul. Reset number one, remember God's name. Reset number one, remember God's name. And, and as I'm giving these to you, just take these and, and do, do these things this week. As, you, as you're washing the dishes, as you're uh, cleaning out your garage, as you're driving to work, meditate on these things. Remember God's name is the first one. Four times God says, I am the Lord. I am Yahweh, that is my name. Do you realize that, that God's name is a spiritual force that the, the, the gates of hell cannot stand against? Proverbs 18.10 says, the name of Yahweh is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. Wrapped up in, in Yahweh is everything that you need to have your hope restored. What did we learn in, in chapter three? That Yahweh means that he is self-existent, that he is eternal, that he is unchangeable. That's who's on your side. Who can stand against you? And as believers in the new covenant, we have a greater revelation of God's name, don't we? We hear it every Christmas, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Do you know that Jesus' name solves the, the greatest crisis of your life? What's the greatest crisis of your life? Sin. And, and the angel told Joseph to name his son Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. Wrapped up in the name of Jesus is the answer to your greatest crisis. That's the first way to spiritually reset. Remember God's names. Reset number two, remember God's covenant. Remember God's covenant. Twice, God reminds Moses of his covenant that he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, verse four and five. And we need to understand this very carefully. No one can put God in their debt. We heard that in our call to worship, that who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid. No one can obligate God to anything, but because of the covenant, God has obligated himself to 
us, and he can never free himself from that covenant. And we who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ belong to this inviolable, unbreakable covenant. Galatians 3, 7 says that, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Just think about all the promises that God made to Abraham. They are yours. One, one, of the, one of the chief ones being that Abraham would inherit the world. That promise belongs to you. That's the second way to spiritually reset. Remember God's covenant. Reset number three, remember God's compassion. God tells Moses in verse five, moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel. I think sometimes when we are going through an affliction or a trial and we weep and cry and struggle, we, we believe the lie that God is somehow a stoic or he's aloof or he's standoffish. God has infinite pity on his people. The psalmist says that you have kept count of my tossings. You have put my tears in your bottle. Are they not written in your book? And we have a far greater revelation of the God who has pity. Hebrews says that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. This is he who wept over Lazarus's tomb. This is he who, with loud cries and prayers, offered his supplications to God. Hebrews 5.77, he didn't cry for himself, he cried for us. Loved ones, God has pity on you. Reset by thinking about his compassion, his care for you, that he knows, that he knows. That's the third way to spiritually reset, by remembering God's compassion. Reset number four is remember God's future grace. Remember God's future grace. This reset focuses on what God is still promising. The Lord tells Israel what he plans to do. I will bring you out. I will deliver you. I will redeem. I will bring you into the land. I will give it to you. All of these are future tense promises. This is a powerful reset. When, when we look to the future of what God has promised, what are we doing? We're taking our eyes off of those things that are seen and we're putting them on those things that are unseen, those things that are eternal. And the New Testament is full of, of such promises. Jesus said, this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but will raise it up on the last day. Just take that truth and meditate it, roll it around in your mind a hundred times that you will be raised up on the last day, that Jesus himself will do it. Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. You're not in your final state. Or as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall all be changed. 
You're going to be changed when the trumpets sound. So that's the fourth way to spiritually reset, to remember God's future grace. And then finally, reset number five, remember God's chief end in redemption. Remember God's chief end in redemption. The beating heart of all of these resets is found in God's greatest promise to his people. He says in verse seven that I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. This is called the Emmanuel principle. This is repeated all over the Bible from start to finish. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. What does that mean? How can that reset you, renew you, recommission you? Puritan Richard Sibbs says here, what heart can conceive the fullness of comforts arising from this that God is our God? Perhaps we cannot say that great homes are ours or friends are ours or inheritance is our ours. That is no matter. We can say that God is ours in Christ. And if God be ours, his wisdom is ours to find out ways to do us good. If we are in danger, his power is ours to bring us out. If we have sinned, his mercy is ours to forgive us. If we are in want, his all-sufficiency is ours to supply us every need. In a word, God being ours, whatsoever is in God, whatsoever God can do, whatsoever he hath is ours because he himself is ours. God is ours. If God is for us, who can be against us? He's held nothing back. Do you see? The Father is yours. The Son is yours. The Holy Spirit is yours. And you are his people. And he will not let anything come in the way of that until you are brought into full possession of him and he of you. Charles Spurgeon says here that God will never rest until he makes you sit upon his throne with him where he is glorified world without end. That's the fifth way to spiritually reset. Remember what, that God has taken you to be his people and he is always and will be your God. So let's look finally then at our delight this morning. How did Moses respond to this spiritual reset? Was his response like Israel's? Well, let's look at verses 10 through 12. So the Lord said to Moses, go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. This sounds a little bit like 
his objection in chapter 4, doesn't it? And some have suggested that, that Moses is reverting back to his previous objection that, look, I don't have eloquent speech, just choose someone else. I don't think that's what's happening at all. Moses' objection, look at what he says. I am of uncircumcised lips. What does it mean to be uncircumcised elsewhere in Scripture? Well, it's a sign of being a covenant breaker. Genesis 17, 14. It's a sign of uncleanness and defilement. Isaiah 52, 1. It's a sign of stubbornness and obstinance, Jeremiah 6.10. And it's a sign of resisting the Holy Spirit, Acts 7.51. You see, after God preached this glorious gospel to Moses, after he reset him, Moses realized that he had sinned against God with his mouth when he accused God of wrongdoing. And he's confessing that. He's saying, Lord, I'm uncircumcised in my lips. I've disqualified myself. I'm too unclean, too defiled, too rebellious to be a vessel of deliverance. And Moses is is right. We're actually going to see this in the genealogy in the next passage. Moses is a, a great sinner in a line of great sinners, just like you. You are a magnificent sinner in a great line of magnificent sinners. He's unfit. We're unfit. We're, we're unfit to go out on mission for God because of our uncircumcised lips. Just, I don't know, maybe some of you have been Christians for decades, How's that going for you? How, how, how have your lips stopped betraying you in your sin? Are they still defiled? Do you, do you still feel the weight of them? How you accuse God in the secret parts of your heart? How you worry, how, how you are anxious, how you complain, how you murmur. Do you still feel that? How often have we sinned against God with our mouths just this week, speaking against our neighbor, resisting the Holy Spirit with our mouths? Beloved, that's that's what a spiritual reset does. It, It brings you face to face with how great of a sinner you are. But God, but God doesn't stop there. Look at how he responds to Moses. Essentially, yes, you are a great sinner, but I am a great savior. Verse 13, but the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land. Yes, Moses, you are a great sinner, but I'm still going to use you. I'm still going to redeem those hard-hearted Israelites in spite of it all. You see, it wasn't Moses that was going to redeem Israel. It was the Lord. End of verse 6 says, I will redeem you. You know what that word means, to redeem? 
It means to buy back from from slavery or to buy back from debt. And and according to Levitical law, the people that could redeem are family members. If somebody got into debt, then a family member could come and redeem through money. Pastor Luke's going to preach on this throughout the book of Ruth, that Boaz came to redeem Ruth because he was a kinsman redeemer. What does that mean? means that God here is planning to make himself the next of kin to Israel, that, that, that he's not some distant deity. The book of Exodus is about a God who loved his people so much that he became their own kin. He put on their own flesh and bones. Jesus Christ, the God-man, became Israel's kin by descending from Abraham, and he redeemed us by his own precious blood, not through uh, the sinful man Moses, but by pouring out his very lifeblood. So listen, as we close here together, loved ones, yes, you are a sinner. Yes, you are unfit, but God. Yes, you are guilty of disobedience, but God. Yes, you are double-minded like Moses, but God. Yes, you have used your mouth for sin, but God became your Redeemer in the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ, and nothing will stop him from freeing you from the slavery of your sin. He's done it all. Jesus died on the cross. He was buried in the tomb. He rose again on the third day. He ascended into heaven all to redeem you and to bring you to himself. So here's our charge this morning. Always be seeking that spiritual reset. Always be seeking that spiritual renewal. Rehearse these truths in your mind, five of them. Remember God's name. Remember God's covenant. Remember God's compassion. Remember God's future promises to you. And remember his chief end in redemption, that he will take you to be his people and he will be your God, world without Let's pray. Father, help us to not be hearers of the word only, but also doers. Lord, just communing with you this week, I see how incredibly important it is to have my soul be feasting off things that I already know. Well, to help your people to do this, help, help us not to be like obstinate Israel that refused to, to be reset because they were looking at their circumstances. Lord, help us to meditate on your name and your covenant and your compassion and your future promises that you are our God and we are your people. Help us to be renewed day by day as we look to those things not that are seen, but to those things that are unseen. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.